Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brianna Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Danny Wagner, model maker, makeup artist, and more for the prequel trilogy. From the Star Wars special editions, to working on the pod racer, to putting on the makeup for George Lucas's cameo in Revenge of the Sith, Mr. Wagner's stories are truly mind-blowing. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 131, Danny Wagner. Star Wars is such an inspiration to me. What were your inspirations growing up? What were you looking at and consuming that was then leading you to want to like make monsters and models yourself? Most effects guys like myself kind of have the same stuff. Like be, even before Star Wars came out, Universal monsters that were on TV, the, the Universal pictures and everything, and all the um, Ray Harryhausen films of Enforcers and Bad and Jason and Argonauts. And most of you know, this is before I was able to go to the movie theater. <laughs> everything on TV, you know, the inspirations were. Dick Smith, Rick Baker, Rob o- those A lot of the 80s, when I was, I, I know some stuff even in the 70s were important too, because like Dick Smith and The Exorcist was just mind blowing. That scared the, you know what, I mean, like everybody. And that was actually the 70s, you know, and then there's Little Big Man, which was incredible. And that was the 70s, you know. And then as I got old enough to, to get into it and start really getting inspired by the, the works was the, the 80s. And that's when the golden age of makeup effects happened with all this. It really hit me. It's like, God, I want to do this. I have to do this. And some of the people I, you know, really admired, like Rob Oteen, reading about Rob Oteen, he, he started helping Rick when he was 14. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, it just blew me away. I'm like, I mean, by the time I read that, I started when I was like nine or 10, but when Star Wars came out, I was about nine. But after that, I started making, you know, the models and, and sculpting and clay and everything and be inspired by those guys, including the Star Wars stuff, which would be the model makers, too, being like Lauren Peterson, Dave Golly and stuff and Charlie Bailey uh, and, and Phil Tippett, all those guys. It became two different sides, L.A. people and then the Bay Area people. There was a lot of people that you were inspired by. It wasn't just one, but since I really liked creatures and monsters, it was like the Bay Area people would would be Phil Tippett for Star Wars. And then I know Rick Baker worked on Star Wars. He did the first one. That actually connected to it. And as I got older in the teens, and you know, I just remember that one magazine that really hit me, and I was 17 by then. And it was mentioned Rob Oteen working with Rick Baker, and he was 14. I'm like, 14? I, uh, I, but by the time I read that, I was like 17. I was like, I'm too late. So I'm like, I better get going, you know. you know, And really like, but magazines and, and, and books, whatever, even before really helped too. They, they kind of pushed me and everything. But basically in when you look at the big picture and, and, and all the, the early 80s, all that stuff really inspired me to do all that stuff. And it's basically, you know, there was different types of makeup effects artists that were doing this stuff. But, of course, everybody really liked the Michael Warren from London. And you got the thing and the howling and poltergeist. I can go on and on. But it just gets me excited even thinking about that stuff because back then it was all new and it's golden age stuff and you're watching it and it's like oh, yeah you can make a living doing this oh my god you know so that's what really got me is is even before star wars it was universal monsters and then the ray harry house and stuff and and then i got well maybe get into big because i even remember trying to make you know even my my sister I didn't even say this, but hey, this is life. This is who started Danny Wagner doing small masks for my sister's dolls. <laughs> 
I was like gulping little masks my dolls. I'm like, can I make a bigger one? I need a, I need a, I need a wig. Cause I didn't even do a live cast on my face yet. So, and she was like, and I was putting it on. I'm like, oh my, I should make them bigger though, you know? And then that's when I started doing like full clay sculptures and stuff. But it was more like animation, like plumation type characters. Cause if I could film it with stop motion stuff, that's why it, it, when I saw the Harry, I was like, oh, I can start doing the claymation thing and do that. But with mask making, yeah, started really small. <laughs> and I made it bigger, got a, got a wig head and then started making bigger ones that and they barely fit my head because it was a wig head then i realized i got to build up this head to make it bigger to fit my head and it really you know turned into bigger bigger things and and that helped me start more into like doing makeup and then finally got a face a uh, life cast for my head to i could do the decent size masks and stuff but it it was you know a combination of all that stuff that really got me going into Golden Age or makeup effects because with all that stuff that was out, you know, people who were really interested in that stuff, it, there was a lot to lot to absorb back then and to keep going. And it helped me because it's like, you know, without that, it's like, I don't know what else I would be. I mean, there's other things, but it really kept me in my room a lot <laughs> to sculpt things and make things and everything in, in my garage and then ruin my, ru- ruin my mother's kitchen, <laughs> cooking all the stuff. I would love to jump from that, from you in your mother's kitchen, to then being a professional. And how did you make that leap to start working actually on films? After doing whatever I can to build up a portfolio, I was able to get few projects in my neighborhood. Like I was, I grew up. I wish I grew up in an exotic town, but I didn't. It was Sacramento, which was, you know, it was it was always hot. So it was like stay in, try to stay cool, build your stuff, and then connect people. Luckily, there was enough closest place I can get work with San Francisco. So I, when I got enough money, got my own wheels, I drove down there, and I came across a few people that were open, Magic Business Studios, and then there was CWI, Chris Wells Incorporated, then Industrial Light Magic, of course. And at least that was a two-hour drive instead of an eight-hour drive going to Los Angeles. So at least I was in California, and I was, it was, I was able to drive that. So basically, when I got my portfolio going, I, um, before I left, I mean, around there, I worked on a couple things doing like a place. It was a traveling, art, a traveling makeup show called Hollywood Halloween, doing makeup in different areas of California. Some guys saw my... I had an old article in the magazine, saw me, so he hired me to do makeup. Well, it was a very weird, strange kind of, you know, doing makeup, traveling around for this guy who just kind of advertises Hollywood, Halloween, kind of a Halloweenish, but he wasn't even from Hollywood. He was from Nevada. <laughs> it was like very strange, but it was money. It paid, it paid money. It was like my, one of my first jobs, I got paid like $100 a day. And it was like, great, I'll do it, you know? And then I went to, I think it went to, you know, I think it went with him to advertise another makeup that came out. It was called Gorefx Yells. I think it was another guy that we agreed. Me and another friend went to New York for one one weekend to advertise this makeup, anyways, to to uh, show how this Gorefx Yells works. So when I had that, and then had some portfolio stuff in my of the stuff I worked on, I went to San Francisco. And I came across kind of a like they they were open for a few years before I moved down there. But it was called Magic Vista Studios. And before I got there, it was called McVean Vote, and they did commercials. And so by the time I got there, it was called Magic Vista Studios, and they were just they were working on a commercial. I gotta remember it was a very weird like a a a, a, a fluoroscope view, which is like an X-ray view of a guy playing a clarinet. So they were trying to find people to make castings of an arm 
and um, a clarinet to make it look like a, a floor, like an x-ray view. So to make a long story short, it was hiring a crew to make these pieces so they could show like a 30-minute spot of this this guy playing a clarinet, whatever. And that helped me connect to other people to work with other, as as an actual group of creature people or even model makers and, and mold makers and, and whatnot. So, um, and moving on to that project, they had their first movie, which is Look Who's Talking. And I mean, it's, it's not a big creature film, but it was very odd because I was able to do a little bit of everything. I sculpted, molded, casted, rebuilt, and fabricated um, different. The whole movie, Look Who's Talking, was basically the effects were these mini sperm trying to track down the eggs to make the baby. <laughs> so we made all that stuff, you know. It was so weird because there, there was still CG. So we made, I, I remember sculpting a small, medium, and large sperm and casted a whole bunch. You had casting a whole bunch of hot four vinyls for it, and, and we put BBs inside so they would slide, uh, they would swim down this huge water tank. And so, in a long one, when you see it, it, it actually works out. It l- looks really neat. And there's some, the lighting and stuff they did. And Gary Plattick shot that in a cloud tank, and it looked really good. So, that whole project actually helped me connect the people that went over to ILM. I'm glad I got that particular show because I was working with Mark Siegel, who was like the lead of Creature Shop designer, and Chris Gay, who was the lead mold guy on that show. They both went over to ILM after that, working on Ghostbusters 2. So to me, I was like, oh my God, please. I Even if I could sweep the floors, I don't care. I just want to get over there. And luckily enough, I was able to work with these people before I, they left and went over there. So it was better than just getting in a, in an interview. I was able to work with these people. They knew me as a professional artist and do, and, and working with somebody and knowing what you do and what they do. And they, they knew me and who I, what I was doing and stuff. And my interest in everything wasn't just by word, you know, so that was the best thing. So and being quite a handful of people who went over there and the guy who supervised um, Tim Lauren, he came over to visit when he came into town before we started Ghostbusters 2. So that was even better. I got to meet him, and I told him I was really interested to bring it. And he said, no, no problem. Come on by. You know, we'll have um, have an interview and stuff. So that was, like, the best thing because it was, like, Magic Mr. Studios, and then, bam, ILM. So to me, it was within... Within three months, I was over at ILM in 1988, and was it working now yet and now i wasn't i wasn't like you know i wasn't lead sculptor or anything or designer but i was able to get into the ilm on ghostbusters 2 being whatever they wanted me to do like you know i said oh, so if at least they said well we need right now we need to help slime river set we need some help with the slime river and mixing this line and working on some of the shots and i said great wonderful and so they called me in to do that for about a week and after, after that week was over my heart was pounding i was like i remember oh god i was both because well no 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 we need to do more you well you still interested in staying i'm like yeah 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 that'd be great so that turned into like three or four months you know i just went from doing slime river and then even after they were done filming that i moved over to the fabrication area and they were still sculpting the the liberty suit i actually did some quick sculpts of an arm of a liberty to do a quick mold off so we do it was some r d test of what kind of skins and foam or silicones that we can use for the liberty suit so it can move more realistically we were doing kind of a silo job getting ready to have this thing molded so we can run the whole liberty suit and ma- making sure it moves so in a way 
I think I remember what we did. If we actually did what I did on one of the tests, that it would have taken a lot longer because like each piece of her body part that had rivets and stuff was going to be like a separate piece that moved and was even more flexible. But I remember Tim Lawrence saying that was going to be, it would be so intricate and it takes so much time. The whole suit would have taken the three months it took the movie. <laughs> so we said we can't do that, but we at least know materials that work really well with that. And we decided to do the base foam uh, for the Liberty suit, which was 1014 polyfoam, which is a really expanding, quick, soft polyfoam that's like foam latex, but it basically foams up really quick. So the biggest part of that whole thing was trying to like, I'm cleaning the mold out. Out and getting ready to, you know, run this whole thing and put it in, putting it together. And we literally had, you know, these 10 gallon buckets of this polyfoam to mix up. And you literally had about 10, 15 seconds to get that mixed up, get on top and pour it in the mold before you jump off the ladder because within 20 seconds it's foaming out of the mold already. It went so fast. So I remember doing that as we're pouring it out, it started foaming. And so we had probably you know, at least 80% of the stuff out of the bucket. And then we threw the bucket on the ground and we <laughs> jumped off the ladder really quick and started foaming everywhere. We just waited. And then you had to really be careful because that was, when it started expanding, it, it's acid that's coming out. It's uh, the fume really bad. So to me, it was like, you know, wearing a mask, a bit, be careful. But I think at least there was three of us pouring in the holes to try to get them in there. And when it was all done, we pulled them apart. We got delivered. And then we probably ended up doing at least 20 runs. Because we had to do the best runs, and then they still had to fix it and seam it and everything. And I know that we had to do more than what we needed. They end up, I think they end up painting at least four. They couldn't just do four runs and, you know, do and do a limited amount. You know, I was glad to be able to stay on and, and, and did that. And, I mean, I observed other things going on. I was really, you know, intrigued with makeup. So I was watching, you know, them doing Vigo, the makeup on Vigo. But I was still working hard doing other things, basically, in the mold shop. and running castings and stuff and then trying to get ready for that for the other the next day things that we had to do so i couldn't always kind of watch or assist with the makeup but the big deal was me being able to be you know i was actually made it to ilm and i was able to work on the show for a good three months and then in the end he they my boss actually was nice enough to actually give me credit which i was blown away because you usually don't get credit for for one of the first so to me that was like a really big deal. It was, it was great. Since I was at ILM, I was like, well, what what else is happening? Back then, I wasn't full-time. So after the shop and the project ended, you get laid off, and then you wait for the next phone call. That was new for me. I had to get used to it. I was like, oh, my God, am I fired? No, no. But, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Within that year, CWI called me and asked me if I was available to work on Rebel, Rebel Cop 2. And I was like, yeah, yeah that, that'd be great. You know, can you start tomorrow? I'm like, Wow. Yeah. So it wasn't too hard because they needed people and they knew people from ILM and who was available, who was not. And I guess it's just that more, the more you work with people, the more, because even in the Bay Area back then, it was kind of a small community of people that were, you know, working and stuff. So it was kind of nice to be able to get involved in that. And then so on those early, early days, I was going, working at CW, uh, Chris Wales Incorporated, which was, we call CWI. And over there, it was basically Chris Wales was the owner of his own shop. And he, he opened it up after Gremlins. And he did, I think he won Academy Award for The Fly with Stefan Dupree, and he opened up the show. And then it went on from there, and they was able to hire people to, for, 
different projects. But it was funny when I, when I get it just popped in my head when I was working over there. His brother Mark Mark Whalen said, "I just went through the old files and we came across an old drawing, the design of a fly that used to have back in '85, you know, or '86." I'm like, "Oh my God, that's so funny!" Because I remember doing a fly like a design. And I sent it to him. I never heard back, of course, but because yeah, I just came across that we still have it. That was kind of neat, but being able to finally actually work there. So that was my, uh, so my early employments were back and forth at ILM and then CWI, ILM, CWI. And like CWI was like different projects. Since we did, I did the original Look Who's Talking, they actually got Look Who's Talking too. So I'm like, yeah, I worked on the first one. I definitely work on this, this this other one and kind of show you my you know notes and what I did. So I was glad to be able to get some work there. So I knew that was coming up. So that was one of the early ones that happened. And then, you know, when RoboCop 2 came out, they asked me if I was available. And since they already designed, RoboTeen already designed it, they actually took his molds and brought it over to the shop. So we basically, it was basically casting up some the stunt suits for the movie and then um, a painting room. And there was a crew to do that. Um, that that job was only maybe 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 a couple months or maybe less because all you just vaguely I barely remember felt bad that we were it was, the molds were really really old but one of the left leg part of the mold we sprayed down really well and cleaned everything before it it stuck on the mold and we were like telling Chris that this is like wasn't the first pull it was like the second or third pull and we don't know why it's doing it but it's stuck and because we were explaining to him the only biggest concern was you know Mr. Voltine's gonna go like what the hell did you do to my mold <laughs> you know what what happened now you know, but we explain ourselves, and then what happens? Don't worry about it, just clean up, clean it up, and it's, it's what happens. And get the casting out, and then the one day that Rob called Chris about the the problem, nothing bad happened. Just basically turned into the mold was so old that it wasn't going to last forever. And eventually, it breaks down, and no release is going to help. But back then, oh my God, Rob's on the phone because <laughs> he heard on the on the intercom, Chris, pick up. Rob's on the phone, <laughs> and everyone's like, oh. You know, it was just kind of like one of those things. Nobody got to talk to him except Chris because he was it was his shop. But you know, back then it was neat to work on that show because it was like part of the RoboCop series. That that it was just neat because the, the first one was really great. Second one, it was neat to be kind of part of that. But you know, I mean, never got to really meet Rob back then. But it was like neat to be a part of that. It was basically helping Rob out doing the suit that he could do. Naked Lunch was another big movie that they did. I was able to get to sculpt the centipedes in that movie, so that was fun. I sculpted different sizes and then we had the different parts of it. Jim Isaac was running the shop for Chris and I just said to Jim, it'd be really neat because there's some special centipedes in the movie that the characters rip apart and cut and look inside. You know, they weren't just props. They were like special cut-up centipedes. And I said, I like to do this because it'd be neat to do a specialty prop that I could pull out of the mold, you know, make guts for it. I, I could make it like a vacuum-form shell, so the shell separately. I was trying to explain myself how to do it because I already kind of had an idea how to do it because it was like, of course, I was a big fan of the fly. I was like, oh, like that. But they pulled the fingernail off his hand. You do something like that. He goes, okay. Then since I did... <laughs> The look he's talking stuff, I'm like, I'll make it out of hot part vinyl. The same thing that I made the firm out of it because they were really, really gooey and you have to cook it a certain way. But when you're done, it will be real kind of jelly. I mean, it won't melt like gelatin. It will be more substantial and it'll last longer. You have to be real tricky about it and be careful because it's like if you burn it, it's really toxic. But and then when you paint, you get a paint with special paints. But so I basically convinced them so I could do these special cut up centipedes. So that was kind of neat. It was the part where they go up to centipedes and they're actually cutting it up and, you know, taking it apart. And they show the 
the, 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 the stuff inside of it. But it wasn't just slime. It was literally in hot pour vinyl skin, hot pour vinyl painted by, like, I think it was SC89 paints, but tinted by certain, with certain tints. And so it would stick on that skin because it's a really specific skin that no, you couldn't even paint it with acrylic. So acrylic would come off, rubber cement would come off, a makeup would come off, but this SC89 tinted with colors won't. It would stick there. So I ended up doing that. And it ended up looking really neat. It's like you got it off, put it apart. I made sure the, the gut had certain colors to it and they were, Basically, guts I made with hot pour vinyl. You basically put fresh hot pour vinyl in a bucket of water, cool water, and it turns into different texture and stuff. Like, it depends on what you have that so you're pouring. You can put, pour in different colors at the same time, intermix with maybe some that are already like has little organic bumps, bumps or something in, in the, fre- the fresh batch. But when you pour it into the water, it turns into a long, stringy, gut like material, which is great. So I kind of did that with the um, centipede. So they would have a more realistic snapback when you open them up. But I was just really imagining when I was doing it, you know, making them and everything and, and making them like tinting the skin really black in some areas to make sure. Cause when they cut the thing open, it's not just going to be the surface, it's going to be inside of how the whole thing looks and how thick the skin is. So that was kind of like one of my main things I did on Naked Lunch was kind of neat because kind of a focus thing that actually got on the film and it did get cut out. So I'm, I'm glad it got saved. I'd love to dive back into your return to Isla. Incredible stuff leading up to the special editions before it really became a Star Wars-focused shop and things like Mission Impossible or Mars Attacks. What was your experience back at Isla, especially after you've had these great experiences and really started to hone your craft? It's interesting to think there's there's all this stuff that happened to me before Star Wars. And believe me, we were all like, is Star Wars going to happen? <laughs> we were all like focused on our jobs, but we knew that the Star Wars happenings were going to happen sometime coming up soon. Like you mentioned, Mars Attacks, that came up. I'm like, oh my God, that's cool. I remember the cards. They were so fun. And then when they started doing that, they asked me if I wanted to sculpt a giant brain for the part of inside the actual Mars spaceship. Yeah, that'd be really cool. So I started sculpting this giant brain. It was basically bigger than our brain. It's, I mean, I didn't know about the scale that they were going to use it, but it ended up being like a double size of our brain. But when it was done, it ended up being like a real giant, giant brain. It was like, it'd be like, like imagine the puppets are 12 inches long. And this brain is, is literally uh, probably one and a half times its size. So it was like a giant, giant human brain. So it's weird. So I just came across some weird other plant that had giant humans or whatever with giant brains that were like, like, you know, 400 times the size as we are, you know, but that was a neat thing that go intermix because they had these little pieces in glass containers in the spaceship that they had. And the, there's several shots of DC what's in the background. One guy did a clown. Actually, Richard Miller, who was one of the main sculptors there, the chief sculptors there, he did a clown. I think there was also a cow, of course. And then there was a giant brain. That was kind of neat seeing the brain there, but actually had a couple shots that were, they actually showed it. And it was like, no, that was so neat seeing actually that too on screen because it was something that I sculpted it, molded it, cast it, painted it, and finished it off. So the whole thing was done. That was fun. And then you mentioned the Mission Impossible. That was a kind of short one for me because I was actually just doing parts to the helicopter so we could reproduce them because they were doing that tunnel sequence. I think they went through that thing 20 times or 30, shooting that so many we had to come up with a lot of castings of the body of that. I, I can't even remember, I remember how, what kind of helicopter it was. I know John Goodson was one of the lead model makers, and he would tell you 
exactly the number of the helicopter he worked on it the most he probably he built a master and then Kim Smith was the main painter on that but it was fun to be a part of that other uh, ones other projects come to mind was like Starship Troopers which was a pretty big show there were these models of the I can't remember the name of the actual ship the, the main big long one he built one at ILM but I was doing mostly of the smaller ones but they needed it damaged so we were damaging that the alien slime that spits out the slime and it hits i think it's like the the roger young yeah the roger young that came up and, and it got damaged by the alien bit or whatever or the the slime that came through the space it was kind of fun just making damage of that cutting pieces out of the model melting plastic on top of the surface and making it but like a textured feel of this damaged spaceship different ways we use a combination of super sculpy and then melted plastic and ceram wrap so it looks like kind of a melted stringing look and then after that was done i actually was worked on the main hero one which was neat because i was like you know we put uh, we put little pieces of i cut it out first and and, and slid in little tiny pieces of model parts to make it look like different levels of the front of the ship and then we took some parts they had these small little tubes that they had a laser cutter there which was an amazing machine they cut anything you need they did it at an autocad i never learned autocad but i explained what i wanted i made a diagram and measured out the pieces and can you do this and cut this out so they could actually put it in the machine and cut the piece out and i could put it in there so that was a real helpful hint and there's when it came time to doing little levels of little rooms and stuff, I was able to get like a cube, but it was almost like a cube that was three-dimensional, so I could cut into it, and so it looked like it was more rooms back there. But with that and the combination of other kind of green leaves, we call it, and putting it all together, so it looks like inside of a damaged room, and then the outside was blended in with the same thing, magic sculpt, and then I took some of the melted plastic and stuff and put it around. And I had a lot of fun. It was really, you know, it's like a big area that was damaged in some other spots in the ship. And when it was all done, I know, remember one morning I came and I was kind of finishing up, this whole like entourage came in to look at it i saw my boss he was with i heard a voice said oh that looks really cool that's neat i'm like oh thank you because i was like just finishing up turn around and that was that was his director paul Verhoeven. so i was like oh cool oh nice to meet you i didn't even know i didn't expect him you know that was like the one at the time and him and it was interesting because it was like uh, he was being really friendly and everything when you work there on those projects to me i do appreciate the director i appreciate more than what we do so it's nice to meet, like, you know, when we did Planet of the Apes. It's another thing we did. Even though people don't like the ending, I enjoyed sculpting on, we call it Abe Lincoln. And to me, I, we kind of did that twice because we changed, like, scales of that thing. But to me, all I remember is, like, sculpting the body with Mark Siegel. Um, there's another guy, I can't remember his name, but it was Richard Miller doing the head. And I'm doing the hands and feet and then helping Mark Siegel with the entire body with the clothes. And then we had to do it again, making it bigger. But the coolest thing was when we were all done trying to get the final prover of the sculpture, that one weekend, Tim Burton came in to see the sculpture. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I tried to keep Try to keep my cool because it's like I'm a big fan, and so I was like, I was able to talk to this guy, and he had no problem getting on his hands and knees and looking at the sculpture really close, telling me what the change was, and he loved them. He said, "You don't want me to have these, you know, the feet crunched more, more intense or whatever." He goes, "No, I think position of the feet you have right now, 
are fine. We don't want, he, he's supposed to be relaxed in the chair. And he was just explaining to me what he needed. And that was so cool because it's like, I'm talking to him and he's responding to me. It was like kind of cool because I could talk about my art, talk about what we did, see if he wants any changes. And I'm not asking him for his autograph behind a, behind a table. I'm working with this guy. And it was so cool because it's like we're two artists talking about this stuff and I'm getting his feedback. And it was just a neat moment because it was one of the times I actually get to meet the guy who was directing this and his, his feedback for the sculpture that we did. And he was willing to talk to me and I didn't have to go to two or three people or didn't have to go through his assistant. And I didn't have to wait two days, you know, it's like, oh, you have to talk to the guy right there and there talking about it. And as he left, it was like, oh, that was wonderful. And it was really neat being able to get feedback. And we were able to finish that weekend and they started molding it and everything. Another neat project was, uh, was the Galaxy Quest. It was uh, one of those projects that had the Sarah ship itself was an evil ship that the evil character flew. When they were making the designs and doing this stuff that they were going to, where we're going to build, that was mostly in the art department. They brought the designs over, like we were trying to get ready to get in, making it bigger and stuff. And they started doing some of the armature, which was like the bolts and, and it was mostly pipes and stuff. And mostly it was all clay basically the the Sarah ship and I was in charge of doing the very very front end of it which is like a big mouth so that was really cool I was able to sculpt that but a lot of detail in it try to figure out how this would look and how why it's looking this way it's the exact I think they just made a making a book on it and I was able to explain myself after all these years because there wasn't really much of making Galaxy Quest back then it was a fun movie but nobody really talked about it that much so that was really fun to be able to talk about that project and the front part of it it was like you know it was me and this nelson hall was another model maker that was working on parts of it and that was it was wonderful and then we had a whole group of people working on the whole body and stuff and i and i actually helped on the some parts of the body too but when it came down to painting and the whole thing everybody got on to paint it but that was a fun show i mean for me it was mostly on the sarah ship because the falcon was done with another crew um but it was just to me it was fun to do the sarah ship because that was more creature oriented had like a it was almost like a live spaceship that had textures and and really neat a feel to it that you know to me it was like a flying spaceship that was alive flying around the space and everything being alive and having all this texture, making it look like more real and stuff in the passes they had. It really, it really turned out really nicely. And then uh, again, too, when you see how much you see in the screen, it's like, oh, great. It's not just two seconds. You see a lot of this there. Shit that was, yeah. And then like, like you said, I mean, there's others and stuff, but I think I do remember right at the project that we were doing just before Star Wars came up, there was the special editions that were happening. And that was before episode one Menace. So the special editions, we were also working on walk around costumes back then for the special editions so some people had a small crew of doing uh, building the suits for for stormtroopers and another one was building one for to make a wookie um, for the walk around appearance costumes so i was i was more actually i was lucky enough being able to be on the the wookie crew i actually sculpted the math of chewbacca by looking at one of the original ones that, that Stuart Freeborn did. And I sculpted that and, and ran the mold and whatever, um, made, made castings of and putting hair on the, the head 
and to try to match it as much as possible. Don Bees was the actual supervisor of that whole project. And it uh, all turned out really well. I mean, to me, I think for a walk-around costume, it was, it was fun to do that. And, and it was a good crew and everything. And then uh, I, I think I, I didn't really work on the Stormtrooper um, suits that much. I can just remember doing some of the vacuum form pieces. But it was mostly the Chewbacca suit. The special editions, for the first one, there wasn't much because it was a lot more on on Empire. Um, well, not a lot more, but it was for the creature shop, it was doing the Wampa suit. And that was kind of still a minimal, very minimal project because they didn't want to, they don't want to spend too much money. Same old story. I was like, um, it was like Howie Weed was supervising the project, building the suit, and he was going to be in the suit too. And then Mark Siegel was actually building most of the parts for it. And that was just like, there is an extra hand, but wasn't too much because they were really watching the budget on it. And then Howie, Howie's like, well, we do need some accessories and stuff. So do you want to build like a Tauntaun? Because there was going to be an actual a cave. So you want to build like Tauntaun? pieces or he's, he's supposed to be eating a tauntaun so do you want to make some tauntaun pieces I'm like okay yeah that'd be great I'll, just, I'll do that so i end up making a tauntaun skull and then a, a tauntaun head a severed head and so when they were shooting it we kind of threw that in with a pile of bones and then how he's like you know he, he really tried his best but luckily enough, the Tauntaun skull made it into the shot, and it worked out. The severed head of the Tauntaun was too gross, and they didn't want to use that. <laughs> so it's like, oh, well, at least what was interesting, when I did it, when I actually made it, I made the core of the mold, the actual Tauntaun skull. And then when I sculpted it, I made the head and the skin was the actual mold on top of the core. So when I made I made a mold of the core, so it would be the Tauntaun skull, and that actually helped a lot because it, that's the one that I ended up using. And they just put a whole bunch of fake snow on top of it. And that looked really neat in, in the shot. For special edition, um, the Jedi special edition, they wanted to do more puppets and more things and in, in in an extra scene on that. So I was sculpting some Greedo hands. That I don't, I'm not sure if they used those. I, I did, there was Greedo hands and then the band member hands. Uh, did the two hands and then cast them up and then painted those. And then there were some other appliances. I think they were done for that scene. I do remember when I was doing that so much, I was actually working enough in the model uh, creature shop that they actually hired another makeup artist to do the makeup on the, the those female characters. So back then I was like, I just like, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I was wondering who did that. Cause I, I didn't end up doing it with someone else, but I kept me to get myself busy enough to do that, that, I didn't have to worry about that. So basically I was doing that. And then when it came time to do a special puppet for that song. Jedi Rocks. Yeah, Jedi Rocks. Exactly. That was it. They wanted this uh, rapper Toonie character that, they, you know, they built. I'm like, oh, that'd be awesome. Mark Siegel was the lead sculptor, but it was me. And then Carol Bauman was sculpting the whole thing. Yeah, we built the whole thing. I mean, we built it. We cast it up. I can't remember some of the mold makers who molded that. I think it's Tony Preciado and some other people. I think Victoria Lewis was part of that uh, molding crew. And then when it got time to cast it up. Parts were from latex and parts were latex and polyfoam. When it was all done, we like fabricated it, put it together. And then I painted it, it's the green it was. We got a little darker green because when I was doing it, I was trying to be careful not going too, too overboard. I remember uh, Jim, I think it was Jim Carson was over there and he was one of the art directors. And I was just trying to explain to him how much green, how far you want to go with the green. But it was just fun. I mean, it was a fun character. And in the end, we, we got to go to, you know, on, on the campus, we shot Jedi Rocks on the campus and we puppeteered it. You know, I was able to be one of the, the, the characters. Um, I, I can't remember what part I did because I know there was 
There was the hand, and there was the eyes, the mouth, and the arms. It's always fun to puppeteer a character in front of the screen and make it come alive. I would love to obviously dive into Phantom Menace and now being able to create in a whole new era of Star Wars, right? And how did that affect your creative process? In the very, very beginning, when I was told I'm going to be, you know, working on that show the next week, I'm like, oh my God, that's going to be, it's really blowing. I was getting really excited. Now, not not go too far with my excitement because <laughs> Let me get this guy out of here. Too much of a fan. No, no, actually, we all, when we were starting it, there's a couple of people that were the lead sculptors, chief sculptors that were doing maquettes of these characters. And we really wanted to be able to like, I wanted to try to help them out and do that a little bit. And one one guy, uh, Richard Miller, said that that we do need some of these characters done, but not too many more, but we want to get your help. So, I mean, that, that, that'd be fantastic. It was me and Carol Baum who started working on those. When that whole show started, there were so many things that we were doing. And to me, it was just doing the different types of characters or if it was going to be a model. One of the cool things I know was the model part of it was doing an actual the pod racer. I remember I worked on every Indicott's pod racer. And then there was some other pod racers and it was really cool because basically when we came on to do this they they i don't know what decision it was maybe it was budget they had these giant wooden forms that were like they looked like rounded like turned in the wood lathe they were giant though they were like three four feet in diameter of the different shapes turned in a wood lathe and when they were perfectly smooth and everything and then we were they were called skinning it we all skinned it we all detailed all these forms out of these pod racers to make them more like industrial like moving and everything but there was also small versions too I do remember working on a small version. I went to the ranch to do, I don't know if it's episode one, for sure episode three. I'm going back and forth there. But one episode, two, episode three. I do remember building a pod racer for a small maquette. But regardless, I, I did a big one. I did, I did small ones and big ones, maquettes and the bigger ones. It was doing the Naboo set that was all jungle-like. was doing a whole bunch of uh, the, the vines and stuff and carving the old rocks to make it look like. Because it also reminded me of Congo. Congo was a completely other show. There was a lot of carving rocks, but do, doing that, uh, that, that helped doing that kind of Naboo look because it had the same kind of feel to it, but it was more moisture in the, in, the, in the air, so it had more greens and a lot of swampy look to it and everything. That was kind of a major big part of that scene of doing that, a lot of carving and everything. And then doing another thing that popped in my head is carving a lot of uh, uh, craters and stuff, but I don't know, maybe that might be for Sith though. I'll maybe talk about the certain projects, that, regardless of which show it was on, which was fun. What was really cool is when I was working on these things at ILM, John Goodson said, they're thinking of bringing more people over at the ranch, doing concept artwork. I'm like, really? We're going to try to get you over there to work on some concept sculptures. I'm like, oh my God, that'd be fantastic. Because that's honestly, that was that was another step up from ILM. It was going above and beyond, going over to the Skywalker Ranch and designing in the George Lucas' art department. You know, and I was like, you mean there's something bigger than ILM? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, that'd be great. You know, to me, it was a special part of the whole Star Wars building genre where when you go over to, to the Skywalker Ranch, he had an art department called Jack Film. And they did all the concepts for all of them, like episode one, two, and three. And so by then, um, to me, I just was, I felt so honored to be able to 
work over there, whatever they wanted me to do, fine. I was like, I, I had my favorite things like focus on. I would love to do this and that or creature or whatever. But I, I do remember I had to keep my cool. Also, I'm human, so I don't want to complain too much. But there was already really good sculptors there. But I was there. They, they was like, would you would you mind maybe sculpting some environments for us? I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to do that. They'd be kind of different. And one guy in in McKay said that he mentioned my name because I'm really good at like even maybe turning these environments and the characters and making them really come to life. And that was a really nice compliment because I am a creature guy. I could sculpt other other than creatures and people. I could sculpt environments or carve you know different things like that. So when I did that. I'm so glad I did it because it was like really neat to me. I actually helped design like Utapau and then Mustafar and then the Wookiee tree. And that's one of the questions you had on this list. It was funny because when I first started doing that, I think George was in a good mood because he goes, oh, let's start let's start this movie uh, this morning up and, and a good start. So he took his giant stamp and stamped it fabuloso. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And everybody's clapping and, you know. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. And it, and it was like, and basically it was this Utapal sinkhole that was a like a smaller maquette, but big enough to see three quarters of it. And I was explained, so Georgia was able to explain how the spaceships can fly inside the hole and land on one of the platforms. Did that, then I did a larger scale of a landing platform that he really liked, which was had a little change on that because it, looked, it looked, didn't look, I call it more of a spider look. I'm kind of, um, it had kind of a more evil look and something that when you you don't want to land on it basically, but you have to because it's not landing platform. But it looked really evil and stuff. It was something that would devour you or something because it looked kind of that look, but but it had that kind of feel. But you landed on it and he said, okay, have it more connected and have it more with spikes coming out and more evil looking because it would be more menacing that way. He goes, oh yeah, I get it. That that, that makes sense. So I did that. And so those types of things, it really helped them make the environments more three-dimensional and more like, okay, this is a, this can really work. And what's what's neat about it is they took all these things and, and it, it was natural maquette that they helped build the bigger ones. When I was doing them, as the other ones came up, I it's funny thing, I did, I'm just trying to do my very best and I was having a lot of fun. But another one I finished, it was like, you know, the Mustafar one. And <laughs> he just stamped it again, Papaloso. You know, and it's like they all look. They all look at me. I was like, I don't want to. Like, I'm not giving them money or anything. It's like, and then, then as a joke, they started calling me Mr. Fabuloso. <laughs> Every single time I finished a sculpture, it was Fabuloso. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. And I'm like, I was like, okay, I just almost feel embarrassed now. I don't want. I want to mess up. Maybe not do a good job. <laughs> I don't know. But I was like, and he's like, don't worry. That's great. I do remember the very, very end. I did the tree at the very last project I did. And to me, it was the best one I did. It was this huge detail, like beautiful. And I could just like, you know what, whatever they want to do, because I like, to me, I'm like, I'm just kidding, that's a below. So I just, I, to me, I would never, I don't want to feel that way, but like this, I'm really proud of this one's good. But what they end up doing is I talked to, you know, them and they're like, well, to make it cool with everybody, we'll, we'll show it to George and uh, on this weekend alone on this all, and we'll get his feedback because we don't want to like, think no problem, don't do that. And the other people, I don't want to start any 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 rumbling to whatever. But I was like, "Oh, that's fine." And he 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 loved it. And I was like, "Oh, that's fine," you know. And that was really neat because basically, when I went back to ILM, they used my part of my. So I could, I mean, I guess I, I did get credit for it, but I helped design 
the wiki tree, you know, a three-dimensional design, the wiki tree, and I helped design the, the Udapal sinkholes. And so they used my pieces to look the, and do the bigger one. So I went back over to ILM. Yeah, it was weird. It's like, which one? I, went, I was like, I was kind of like, really wanted to be part of the, the tree because that was my favorite one. But they were all be done at the same time because they really needed me on the sinkhole. So I was like, okay, I'll go on the sinkhole. So I think I worked on the tree for two days or something, and then I went over to the sinkhole to, to work on that more, just making things bigger and everything. Now, that was kind of a neat thing because it was like part of uh, the next step that I knew that was going to be coming up and everything. And then they did a great job making everything bigger, especially with the pieces that were more like, like the landing platform. They did do, since it was even bigger, they were able to make things more through the AutoCAD too and make me a, a lot more sharper edged and everything. Because everything I did was in clay. It was not really... But there's some, I think some parts might have been a piece of like an antenna or something was a metal or whatever. But, you know, maybe everything clay is like, it was like it was a little more challenging. But I knew when they made things a lot bigger, they'll end up being model pieces and the styring and, and, and so forth. Other than models, the makeup was also happening. And to me, even when I was nine years old, I wanted to be a makeup artist, you know. And the whole thing about ILM and going to CWY and all this whole thing is like, I still wanted to always be a makeup artist, a creature person. But I just didn't know why. I mean, I guess when I went up to ILM, I ended up staying there because I got the employment. I was able to stay. I got rehired. And Star Wars was happening. Why would I leave? You know, so I'm going to, I got to do a little bit of everything. I got to do, you know, models and creatures and paint and build and sculpt. I also got to do makeup, you know, makeup too. So when that came along, you know, they knew they had a makeup artist on on staff, um, not staff, but it was it was on on payroll working there. So I told them, yeah, I'd love to do it if that comes up. Uh, a little did I know, like back then, they were gonna do Bib Fortuna and the reshoot of that waking up, you know, job of the hut. And they told me about that. I'm like, oh my god, I love that character. It's awesome. And they. What they didn't give me any details, but what they said is basically I found out that they re- they shot that I think in London and they didn't like what they did. I don't know what what it was, but I guess they decided to have the Fortuna next to Jabba the Hut and waking him up. And Jabba the Hut was going to be CG. I give credit to credits due of the Nick Dudman crew did sculpt and build the makeup because they did it for that shot they didn't use but the appliances were still available you know was applying this makeup on another uh, another actor which would end up being um a ben burt's assistant back then it was it was a matthew wood yeah matt yeah matt wood now is i'm sure he's a you know sound designer or whatever i'm not him in years but very nice man and it was matthew wood as the fortuna and I was like, oh, my God, and hopefully he's fit his face because they were supposed to fit this other character as this other actor. He was very nice and very patient. I, I did a test fit and worked out. It's like, great, it's going to work, you know. Now I, I knew it was a very nice guy to work with. And we did that shot within one day. We we just shot one day and uh, played it. And, and um, John, um, not John, John, John Noel was supervisor on, on, on the shot doing that. I can't remember who was on, uh, on the camera, but John was there to direct it. He loved it. And he goes, great. You know, and I remember when taking the makeup on after we were all done, he was all like, he was kind of teasing me. He's, oh, you're so good. You can't find the edge to take the makeup on. <laughs> I was digging. I was actually trying to dig to find the edge to take it off his skin. 
it was just kind of smile because it's like it's kind of a funny thing for making people that to look for this edge that you buried so nicely you got it finally but i did that and then i realized yeah, you just go underneath his you know underneath his shirt and get the edge that way too but it was just like i quickly kind of did that but it was nice to have him happy and that the scene worked out to be honest with you i think it was the first makeup i did at ilm the application and i was like i was like very honored and happy to be do, do that and then um, I think it was after episode one, episode episode two. It was it was more characters. We actually got the actors from London to fly to the ILM campus to do the actual fittings and the makeup application. And then since there was a good amount of people, we brought in Stefan Dupree, who was one of the best I know. He Stefan, he I mean he worked on The Fly with Chris Royalis. He won the cat for the fly and he, he's been around the bay area for a long long time so I mean, i known him back when i worked at cwi he was there too and he was available he came and helped us so basically it was me and him doing most of this work and uh, and i think it was on i don't know was the first week i think he came in to help team or do some early stuff because i was still on another project first i can't remember for star wars and then i was able to hop on that finally and then at the end we we painted the appliances pre-painted everything and then applied it I think it was Shakti or Preta and another character that had horns. I can't remember the game. I was trying to write down the notes before he called, like to Google the character because I can't remember what it was. But they were all very. Was it Sacy Tin? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. And the, the, what was so beautiful is it's the actual guys in the makeup. That's actually so. So the the makeup actually fit. You know, you didn't have to pull and push. You know, that stuff. So it was really nice to be able to do that and to have that work out. Yeah, I was like, I'm happy. And it was like, um, it was neat to have that. And uh, I even told, you know, because I don't think even in the past when I first met Stefan, I met Stefan when I was working on Ghostbusters 2 and he was on Indiana Jones, but he was had his own crew and I was on the creature, uh, um, the, uh, the uh, Ghostbusters 2 crew and he was on Indiana Jones crew. So I never got to work with him. So when I finally got to work with him doing makeup on Star Wars, I actually was a little nervous. But I was like, I know the guy. Don't worry. He's a good friend, blah, blah, blah. But he really appreciated me being excited about it and being honored to work with him because it's like, you know, doing an actual makeup on somebody is different than working with him in the shop. But you never got to work with him, you know. So it was neat to be able to actually work with him on the makeup on that, um, on, on Star Wars, actually, and, and the the show itself and, and having it when it finally got finished it was neat seeing the stuff that i was insert that ilm decided to put in the movie because the original shot didn't work and i just kind of felt bad about the other shots it's like well those other makeup ours that their work didn't get used but i mean it, the sculptures and designs were still well the first one was nick dudman uh, episode two attack of the clones i can't remember the guy's name but he was a younger guy in london that was hired to do the makeup effects or prosthetics. But some of the, all the prosthetics got shipped over to ILM to, to do the application on. And I do remember now there was a couple for episode two. I think I did alone. It was Kit Fisco. It was a green character. And I did him. And I think I did another shock tee, but on a secretary or somebody. No, no, no. It wasn't secretary. It was a woman who worked at Jack Films, and I put makeup on her. Uh, Faye David, <laughs> her name, yeah, Faye David. She was really sweet, and that worked out. Natural, it actually worked on her face, and that was just the two, two, two makeups for episode two, Attack of the Clones. And so Cliff was the one that we had more makeups, and then we brought in Stefan to help help us do that. And that's where when when we did the makeup on set and they, and we shot it. 
we it was nice. Brian Grenan, who was the supervisor of the whole show, it was nice enough to give us both credits as a supervisor. So it was makeup supervisor on that. I mean, it wasn't on the credit on the film, I think, because I think, you know, with Star Wars, you get one credit. I don't know what it was, but um, I, I think it was under model maker, which was uh, to me it would be nice to have it under makeup supervisor, or whatever. But it would cause a lot of I through the grapevine or something with politics because when you have certain stuff like that, you know, way with the people in Europe, you know. So, um, but with episode th- uh, three, Revenge of the Sith, it was that. But uh, the other kind of big thing for me is that was funny. Brian Grant came in the paint booth. I was painting something and he goes, sit down, Danny. I want to ask you something. I was like, God, I'm fired. Something happened. He could have let me go because he didn't want me. Uh, so something came up, you know, in the front office and some, some, a kind of a concerned issue that they really wanted to kind of ask you about. I'm like, oh my God, you're going to let me go. What is it? And go get it. Cause they're going to have George Lucas have a cameo in Sith, and they want you to do the makeup on it. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, Brian, I thought you were going to fire I thought you were going to fire me, you know? And he just laughed because I just wanted to have you sit down. And I didn't want you to faint. <laughs> I didn't want you to faint or fall on the ground or anything. I go, that is so funny. I was like, that's, that's great. I mean, you'll do the makeup on George, first cameo. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know design anything, but we'll give it to you when it comes up. So that was just fantastic. And then when the day came, I remember, I couldn't even sleep that night, but regardless of my sleep, we woke up and it was basically a real simple makeup. We just, I painted, I painted his face, a face kind of a, a bluish, um, greenish tone. When I saw it, I was like, okay, I wish it was appliance, but uh, it, to me, it kind of looked more like it. <laughs> I can't even say it. Like a different, a different sci-fi character from a different, different movie, but I'm not, I won't say the, uh, the, the name to me, the, the, the assistant said, don't, mention anything don't say it oh that's cool that's fine it's like if they want it this way that's fine they just wanted to have like a kind of basically the whole reason they wanted to have a subtle makeup on him they can you can still tell it to him i was like okay that's fine with me you know so basically i did have don b's draw me up an autocad design of his um they had these tribal lines on his face i don't know why but it's like okay well i don't want to paint this by hand in front of george lucas and a I know I'd be so, I'd be biased. They wouldn't shake, but I was like to make it easier for me, I'll just have them cut out an AutoCAD to airbrush these lines. So so I I, I did that. I had a few cutouts, and they worked great. They they kind of flushed over his face, kind of like did that over his um up cheeks, whatever, and you sprayed through the frisket, basically a frisket that had these little, what, what, what was interesting is after I was done, I totally wanted to make sure it was nice and straight and whatever. And I was, I did it, sprayed it. The whole, the whole, the whole time I'm doing this, the camera guys are all over me taking pictures and video. And I was like, oh, I don't want to bump with my elbow or anything. I'm trying to stretch his face. And then assistant told me before the makeup started, George doesn't like anything poked in his face. So I'm like, great, I'll do it all airbrush makeup. I'll try to not do anything brushes or anything around his eyes or whatever. That should be more more subtle for him and more comfortable for him. Then again, I, then I didn't know that these cameras are around my face. I, I don't want to bump into him. So they, they backed up a little bit. But I was doing the airbrush. And then at the same time, I was taking a, a miniature fan away from his nose so the stuff wouldn't go into his nose. And I sprayed the color on him and used the frisket. When it was all done, he walked right up to the mirror and looked really close. My heart was beating so fast. And he looked left, looked right, and goes, looks good, thank you. I was like, 
so relieved, you know, like, oh my God. And then he walked away, and then Jillian Limbert, I guess, or I can't remember her last name, Jillian, she said, well, how'd, how'd it go? And he and I heard his voice, he, he goes, oh, yeah, it went fine. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm so glad he was fine with it. And then um, he goes, yeah, Danny's great. Glad we, uh, we were able to have him. You know, and I was like, oh, thank God that uh, I just heard that when he, when he walked around the corner. And I was kind of so relieved. And then basically, actually, when it, when I heard that, it wasn't as soon as I said George has like anything in his face. I did his daughter too. I, I made up his daughter in the same kind of colors to make up and he said, Oh yeah, my dad doesn't really like things stuck in his face or poaching his face. I said, Well, thank you very much for letting me know that tip because it's a really important and she was really sweet and that was just like a makeup I did on, on her she was in the same scenes and I got to do makeup her first and then she told me that and then after that was done I made up him and in that one scene that was on one day but it was such an emotional day for me because it was like, okay, I got his daughter and I got him and then go to set, make sure nothing smears make sure, and make sure they, they shoot it fast enough. He doesn't sweat anything off and he doesn't just make, I want to make it through the day, you know? So I was like, oh my God. So I did it. Yeah. I, I brought this. I remember bringing this like portable airbrush thing with me that I, I don't even use anymore because it's too heavy, but it's like this little, just to, for touch-ups. I quickly did something and then they shot it and it and it worked out and i was like it was it was done next thing i know it was like the day was over with and i was like called my mom and at the end of the day i did it finally it was so glad you know and she was like she was all happy for me and everything but um yeah it was it was it was a really interesting experience because i'm sure other people made up george for interviews but not for yeah not this way and then and when i was thinking about doing makeup on set on star wars back you know i knew it was going to pop in my head another specialty character was r singh r singh is a bounty hunter that was on screen for two and a half no half you know, one one second <laughs> a second and a half it was uh Mara, Mara, uh, Mich- no michon who played the character and she was very very sweet and basically it was a like all white makeup i as back then i was i don't i didn't over speak too much or push too much or do i just wanted to go with the flow i mean now i kind of wish the character had more pearl acid colors on her skin and really kicked with the light to make it more like it was so it wasn't just like clown white but it is what it is they shot it we had a bulk cap on her, and then we put these finger extensions on her. That were, but were literally like this latex and polyfilm wire. And I really wanted it to be more mechanical, but they're like, no, we don't want to spend the money. Let's get a quick shot, which they were. It was a quick shot, and I was lucky enough to even have <laughs> latex and polyfilm and wire in there because it's like at least I was able to bend the bend them on the uh, the railing she was at. And so on the day of doing that, I was able to, you know, with, with Doug Chang on the Chang, sorry, Doug Chang on set, we were positioning her finger so that it looks like she was really gripped the edge of the railing. But the scene was so quick, I realized that we didn't really have to go overboard with the color and everything else. So that was fun to do that. And I also got to do some, uh, back then, like since I was able to do some model making too, I actually did her gun for that kid. So I did the makeup on that with, with I can't remember the other, it's the other woman. There's another woman and the hair hairstylist um, doing that character. Um, that We did that within one day and that worked out great. And then they ended up using 
A lot of her positions that she did with the guns or posing was for, I think, trading cards or posters. She never held the gun in the movie. She was just looking at the Padres. She was became this mysterious character, and everybody was wondering if she was going to be. I was really hoping they were going to be in the next movie, but she never did. But they end up doing, I guess it was, oh yeah, in Sith, go back to Sith, they did have the Alisakura character, who was all blue, and that would end up being Amy Allen. And Amy Allen was one of the TAs, I think, during Star Wars. We got the appliance storage wherever they came. I mean, they, they had one from, I think, the studio, probably, probably from Europe, but it was a blue-colored one. Um, I can't remember. All I, I do remember, there's there's a couple of them we used. We want, used one that fit her really well. I was able to have a little bit more input, and con- not control, but more like creative input and say, oh, can we really get this kind of real creations from company to airbrush her makeup and not sponge it on or not paint it on. We airbrush it. It'll be a little bit more expensive, but we could spray it on. It'd be like, it's like almost like it, you know, it's not going to be out of a can, but it's out of an airbrush. I explained it. It'll just go quicker. They like the sound of quicker. So as the airbrushes on her skin and her face and have more than one color after we glue the whole thing on her face and do that, it, it, you'll have it done faster. And they agreed with that. So I ended up doing Dallas Sakura character that was part of Felucia when they were walking around Felucia, I guess Order 66 or something that they had during that section. And uh, the poor character died, of course. And um, But it was neat being able to do that because little did I know, even before that makeup came up, I was doing some of the miniatures on the, the miniature set of Felucia. Some of the plants and organic matter that was on that whole model that we did, I worked on that. And I used a little action figure as the scale of that. And it was Richard Miller sculpting some of the big plants. And there were some other people doing some other stuff. And I did um, the main whole foundation and other plants too, and then we molded all that. But it was a lot of work because we did a lot of transparent plants that would cast it out of resin, but colored. So when you backlight it, it looks like it was all almost like a Willy Wonka, but high tech, clear, transparent plants that looked really pretty. And that was all Felucia. But little I know after that, I ended up doing the, the character, the makeup that runs through a green screen area. That was like <laughs> a giant Felucia model that we did. So that was really neat being part of that. But yeah, in the end of the Star Wars, I started being ILM's makeup artist that was on 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 staff on campus, you know, and then when they needed more people, we got more people in that people, people I knew. I mean, before my time, there were other people that worked there that did you know, like the special editions and stuff and everything. And um, so there was there was always people there. But it's just always nice being able to be part of the whole company and being able to do makeup finally at ILM because it's like my whole life on basically being a makeup artist. So, and then you mentioned like, I guess after Star Wars and it started turning into, because I saw some of the, the list that you had, at the end it started turning into Kerneropical. The Crystal Skull was interesting. It was a lot, of, for me, it was a lot of carving uh, pyramids and textures and details. The pyramids, which was a really neat model. I mean, it was beautiful. Um, back then, I remember like who's going to do the aliens, who's going to do the, the the transparent, you know, whatever. I found out Stan Winston Studio. I was like, oh, okay, it's, I kind of wanted to do work on that, but oh well. But we, what we did end up being looking really beautiful. I moved on to LA after that. Yeah, and that's where I kind of looked for a place. You know, I I mean, I had I've always had my house in the Bay Area, but I also looked for another studio in the in, in the LA area. And that's where I really kind of focused on my makeup effects and uh, makeup career. Stefan Dupree called me up and said, hey, Paul Howard Berger, 
they're doing awesome, great, and powerful. And you should get on that now. You know, so I called them up, you know, you know, after emails and this and that talking, I was able to get on the show. Michigan was one of those places we flew out to do that. And then met a lot of people over there. And then after that, it was just concentration on, I did do some work in some effect shops, like, you know, a Barney Berman shop and did a lot of work for him. And then I ended up being able to go on to working on um, uh, is a TV show called Grimm and some other projects we did. And, and little by little, I was able to get more hours and everything through uh, my days of doing makeup. And I got into the makeup union. And that was a, that was just fantastic. It was a self-accomplishment that I always wanted my whole life. And it was just wonderful to be able to get that because today it's, it's it's very difficult. If that's what you love to do, you have strong passion for it, and you constantly work at it, it will happen. But I mean, for me, I mean, my opinion, took, took, I felt like it took me 10 years. I mean, it was like other things here and there, putting things together, but it took a long time to finally get there. But when when you do, finally, it, it does help. Now, when you think of working, I do work on projects in the shop rarely, but make a good example. I have a good, very good friend, um, Arian Titan, that is a fantastic makeup artist. He's one of the best out there. And he was working for Rick for a while. And that's a whole other story, too. I mean, I met Rick through him, Rick Baker. I was able to work with Arian on one of his shows. And he, he, he suddenly says, I know you're working on set more often as a makeup artist, but I think you might want to work on this show in the shop for a little bit. And he showed me the trailer, and it was Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, you got Ghostbusters? You got to do Ghostbusters? I was like, that, that's better. So he goes, yeah, you're interested in sculpting on the uh, Teradoc. I'm like, hell yeah. I'm like, that'd be fantastic. So it was it was one of the best times. It was like being able to work with Norman Cabrera and Tanner White and just listen to 80s music and 80s movies and just, well, listen to, uh, listen to watching them, but uh, and it's, and yeah, sculpting chair dogs. I mean, and it was really nice because we all had the strong passion of 80s stuff and making sure this, this terror dog looked a lot like what we used to. One of those guys that really wants things that have the same feel and loves that kind of look and doesn't want to change it too much. And if you have fans that see the movie and they look at terror dog and there's a new terror dog and it's what, it's what the, you know, other people want. It's like, no, he wants to keep it like what we're used to, changing a little bit of it. They still have the essence of a terror dog. You know what it is. And he really fought for it. And he and, and there in the end, they were really grateful to have him do the the lead on the, the makeup effects in the terror dog because it looks great and everybody loved it. And if it looked any different, people wouldn't have known it was a terror dog. He did the right thing to do that. And we were grateful to be part of that and make it. So we could look at it and make sure it's not, you know, any different. That was just, that was just fantastic, you know. And, and so it was like jobs like that. And then to back up a little bit when I was, you know, I was working on a little project at Rick. At, it was working on a project for Dave and Lynn Welsey, who was really good friends of mine, but also good friends of uh, the Bakers. And um, they were working on this, this small project that I helped them finish. But they we wanted to paint it in Rick's shop. Because he had a like a painting area, I'm like, oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> That's the first time I was able to step. Rick, I was like, yeah. So after that project was done, Rick asked, asked me if I was interested in helping him organize a straight down because he was actually retiring by then. He was gonna move um, everything out of his shop into his house and retire. So he actually asked me to help them move and do all the organization of certain things and just photos, this photo room he had. To make a long story short. 
that's where I got to know Rick Baker more. And that was kind of nice. It was more, it was more personal. So I, it was neat to be able to see him more and talk to him and, and do that. And then he goes, well, I want you to work in the photo area right there. What I want you to do is go through each movie. And out of all these photos, I want you to keep like the front view, side view, back view, and kind of a few of the really, really nice photos. And all the rest, shred them. I don't want them to go in the trash. I don't want anybody to end up having them in their hands. I want you to get rid of them. So I was like, oh, my God, okay. So, you know, he actually trusted me. Get, if I had any major questions, I showed him. But he basically wanted to tone down, what, 30 or 40 years of his career of these photos he had and toning them down. Instead of, that's like you have, like, the grant. You have, like, say you have, like, 500 photos. He wants to tone them down to 50. He does this way too much. So it's like especially ones of actors making faces for the character and there's with no makeup on. Like he doesn't want anybody to have that or doesn't want to get so that. So basically I did that for a week and it was like, to me, I was like, Oh my God, that's incredible. And behind me was all the ones I grew up with, like all the like 80 stuff, like pictures that I've never seen before of American work in London, you know, of star Wars, you know, an incredible shrieking woman, incredible melty man, all this, all this, uh, you know, a great stuff. You know, and Starman and all these pictures I'd never seen before. And right back at me, go, I go, Arian, do you mind if I kind of like, actually, I asked Rick, like, after we're done on a day, can I look to this real quick, the pictures in back of me, because they're all your original 80s stuff. He goes, oh, yeah, sure, go ahead and do that. So that was fun, like, seeing all, everything was in slides, you know, but it was neat being able to get to know Rick on on the, those terms. And then Dave and Lou Elsie had a short film they wanted to do, and this was maybe three years and I end up being able to do makeup on Rick. Oh, that's awesome. For Gaslight? Yeah, yeah. So to me, you know, Dave asked me the night before, do you want to do the makeup on Rick? I was like, yeah, I do. That was a great time. And and to me, it was like a very short, very short list. I think there's only a handful of people that made up Rick Baker, but it was fantastic. So that was like somebody, that, that's actually one of the highlights of my career is doing that. And of course, as, as the makeup is doing Rick, and then of course, um, George Lucas, even though the makeup was just kind of blue. <laughs> so, so many different highlights. I mean, even even sculpting things like I didn't even, I didn't even mention sculpting. There were sculpting maquettes at ILM that were character designs for movies before they made it into CG characters or the BG before they made it into a bigger character. But like making the accolade, I sculpted the accolade so they could scan it in the computers they could put it into and then made a massive dog that actually they're using the massive dog even in a Mandalorian. I was like, oh my God, there's the massive dog. I sculpted that. I sculpted the maquette. There was another guy at the ranch who sculpted a massive dog also and Ackley, because I, I, I never forget other people who do the other uh, scales or doing whatever. Robert Barnes, a fantastic sculptor, he did, his part was doing a smaller scale of that, which looked great. But then when it came to ILM, they needed a bigger scale so that they could scan that same character, but in a bigger scale form. So I did my part and then made it bigger, which was fun to make a bigger one. And everybody was raving about it. They all loved it. He, he came down to look at it because he was like, oh, I heard it, it turned out really neat. So I did the Accolade and then the Massive. Then I did the Assassin Bug, which turned into a completely different creature because they, they changed it in the CG. And that's another thing new. It's like, I learned very quickly when I did a sculptures and they end up scanning it in the computer. They could change it. There's nothing you can do about it. So that's the part of it being sculptural design is have fun, sculpt it, do what you can. And then if it ends up 
almost looking the same. You got lucky. <laughs> For M. Night Shyamalan's signs was another alien that we, me and Carlos Wante sculpted, and it was a really neat adventure to do that. And in the end, they wanted to change it and make it look like a football player with a skull face. I don't know why I should be saying this, but to be honest with you, it's doing a job that you love and it, and it looks neat. And you got your photos of the character that you did and then they hand it off to somebody else who doesn't do creatures because I don't know why they wanted more menacing looking. So the finished one in the movie, I didn't do it. But that was, it was just uh, fun doing Alien for Signs. But yeah, it, it got changed and, you know, some other stuff. But but now, yeah, now, now I'm... I'm a full-time makeup artist for the union. I get flown wherever they want me to. Well, not they, whoever calls me, are you available? Yes or no, whatever. So I can't, I have a lot of the MDAs I sign, so I can't explain what I'm doing, but I, I've, in the past, I've did Captain Marvel to to American Horror Story to Westworld, and in Law last year was Fear of the Walking Dead, which was great. And and in the past was Walking Dead, and and there's some spinoff shows that that were working. So for me, I'm just focusing on doing makeup effects and doing that, and it's it's great. I mean, I'm loving it. It's nice that the um, before I die or before my you know I retire, if I can retire, or do I want to retire? I do, but I, I I'm loving it. It's it's not nice being able to be part of a group of a union group that does the same stuff that we all have a passion for. Danny, thank you for taking this time and all these incredible stories. This is such a thrill for me to be able to talk to you. And again, your work is incomparable and and really just. A lot of it just stood the test of time. So this was a real honor. And thank you for, for spending your evening telling me these stories. Oh, you're welcome. It was a real pleasure. so much again to Mr. Wagner for his incredibly generous time and stories. Thank you as well to my producer, Jason Kozlerich, and my editor, Alex Mirabal. Next week, I'm talking to creature extraordinaire Derek Arnold, and we'll also be having a live panel at Star Wars Celebration on the podcast stage at 11 a.m. on Friday, 527. The recording will be uploaded later, but I hope to see you all there. If you can leave a five-star rating review for the show, it means a lot and really helps us out. But until next week, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.